Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome. Last week, I talked about big lifetime goals and why they often feel easier to my brain than the immediate physical needs of today. If you haven't heard that episode yet, if you want that full context, you can go back and listen to it, but it's not necessary if you'd rather just jump into today's topic when big dreams feel impossible. I don't know a single human being who hasn't had this experience. There's something we want and it feels unattainable And there's a certain pain attached to that. And this can be doubly painful when the dream is just surviving and being able to afford food and rent, let alone self-actualize or go get a degree or have healthy and supportive community and relationships. There are so many things we want and need. And I just want to acknowledge that there are so many barriers in the world. Today, I want to talk about the emotional side of that, as well as the emotional effects of what feel like some of my biggest failures. And I'm going to talk about in general, this 10 year period of my composition career that felt very, very challenging and really peel back the curtain and talk about what it feels like when what we want feels impossible. And while this is too big a topic for me to really cover today, I also want to talk about part of what got me to feeling like I'm deeply enough and like I'm doing enough, like my creative work is enough, even though there are still aspects of what I would love for myself in my life that are literally impossible due to the constraints of time and physical body. And that's okay. And part of the reason that's okay is because I have this deep feeling of enoughness. And before this gets too cyclical, I'm just going to jump into the specific example in my own life. I have two degrees in music composition. The second degree is from a well-known school. And because my main teacher there was in his 80s when we started working together, I had the benefit of learning from someone who took composition lessons with some of my personal favorite composers of the 20th century. So that's pretty cool. And I also wrote some pretty cool music when I was in my master's degree. So I got some good recordings out of that. But the process leading up to getting into the master's program was primarily marked by failure. I applied to seven schools and I only got into one of them. It happened to be one of the best ones I applied to, so that was good. But most of those rejections had already come in by the time I got the yes. So I was freaking out at that point. I thought, oh my God, I'm not going to get in anywhere. And I was really questioning myself as a composer because, you know, I had some pieces, I had some recordings, and I just wasn't getting that external validation. So that was really hard. And then this process repeated itself in, I think, 2016, I was applying to doctoral programs. So I finished my master's in 2014. When I applied to doctoral programs, I applied only to fully funded programs, meaning I would actually get paid to go. And these are very small programs. For example, I auditioned at Michigan, University of Michigan, and I think there were 10 of us auditioning for three spots. So I don't know how many people applied to become those 10 finalists. So it was cool that I was a finalist. Like, yeah, that's a recognition. That's great. And I didn't get in to any program for doctoral applications. 
And that was a big blow to my confidence because in my mind, I was taking the correct steps, right? I had gone to this master's program at a good school. I paid a lot of money for it. I took out a lot of student loans to cover that. It was very expensive. And I had this, you know, great connection with some bigger name people. I had a big masterclass on my resume, which I didn't have before. A masterclass is when you work with a teacher live. Um, and for composition, that's looking at a piece of yours. So for that period of 10 years from when I finished undergrad until four years after finishing my master's for 10 years total, I had a 100% rejection rate for grants and programs that I didn't already have a connection to other than getting into the master's program. And then when I was in there, I got a couple grants from the school. I got some recognitions from the school and, you know, won some things there, but that felt, and then I had uh, commissions from people that I had met or known or had a connection to. So I felt like when I was just applying to something where they didn't know me already, again, other than the master's program, there was a 10 year period. And I'm not joking. Every single thing I applied to, I was rejected for every single one. And uh, that sucked <laughs> for my brain. Um, looking back, I'm kind of asking myself the question, why did I stick with it? I don't know, honestly, other than I love music and I kind of felt like I had written myself into this corner because I used to have more of a performance background. I was more focused on performance and because I was focusing on composition, I wasn't practicing as much. I was really focusing on writing because I was like, I'm good at this. I'm going to, you know, make this my career. And so even within music, I felt like composition was really the thing I was putting everything into. And I kind of had put my eggs all in one basket for some period of time. I still can perform. I still do perform a bit. I do some studio recordings and things like that. And uh, I record myself when I'm doing film music. So it's not that I can't perform. And at the same time, once you reach a high professional level, there is a certain, you know, I'm not at the highest level of performance on any of my instruments because that's not my main focus. So it was honestly really a downer. It was really depressing to have 10 years where outside of one school saying yes to me, everything I was doing was being rejected if I didn't already have a connection. And I really was questioning whether I should be in this career at all. And I kind of felt like my big dream for a long time was to be able to support myself 100% as a composer. And it's not just that that felt unattainable at that point by the end of this 10-year period. And remember, 10 years, <laughs> that's a long time from your teens into your 20s, right? Like that's that was, you know, my entire adult life up until that point. My entire adult life up until that point, I had gotten entire rejection for my chosen career other than one school saying yes to me. And at that point in 2017, as I was kind of coming out of this, as I had, you know, gotten rejected from all the doctoral programs, it not only felt unattainable to fully support myself as a composer, it felt impossible to make any money as a composer or have my music go anywhere, right? Because as an artist, the money's great and obviously we need to live and support ourselves, but there's also this dream that the art itself, that my music would reach people, touch people, have some effect, right? And I just wasn't seeing that growth. So even though I'd written a few pieces I was proud of, it just felt like nothing was happening, nothing was happening. 
and it was great that a few teachers in grad school said nice things about me, but it's not really enough to live on or build a career on. And I really couldn't see any way forward for quite a while. And I was just doing other things and, you know, had other work. Obviously I was supporting myself, but I was really discouraged and turns out that's not a great place from which to make great art. And in particular, I love writing music with people. I love collaborative projects. I love having something to respond to. And yeah, I do write music on my own. I'm working on a string quartet right now, but honestly, I'm more likely to finish a piece in a reasonable timeline if there's someone else attached to it. So just writing for myself, you know, writing a piece and then trying to put it out there just doesn't feel the same as when you're writing for an ensemble, you know, with a commission, even if there's not much money attached to it, it still feels very different. And then another thing that was discouraging around that time was I really started to learn more deeply or in more detail about how elitist the classical music world is and how much it matters who you're connected to and what workshops and master classes you've been to. And that just wasn't something I had access to as a kid because I grew up poor. And one of my friends actually said to me, who is an amazing performer whose career didn't really start to take off until his 40s, he was like, have you noticed that everyone you know in the classical world who is doing really well before age 30 has rich parents? And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh no. And that's, you know, I can go into, I think there are a lot of reasons that I was having trouble getting my career going in the way that I wanted to. I think there were a lot of factors, including that growing up poor, I just didn't know what kinds of things I needed to do or like what I should even pursue in certain ways because I was kind of figuring it out all by myself. So there was a turning point and I would like to talk about this because in 2018, I got my first grant with my friend and long-term collaborator, Pompey. And we put on this super fun interdisciplinary work in a fog sculpture, F-O-G fog, yes, water vapor. It was an artist who was doing these water vapor sculptures. And I got to say, playing violin and singing and dancing all at the same time in a costume made partly out of plants while walking downhill in a slippery fog is probably the hardest performance I've ever done. (laughs) And it was also really fun. It was very technically challenging. I also had to be careful because too much moisture makes the violin impossible to play. So it was just this very fun, almost puzzle-like experience. And then around the same time, the second short film I'd scored came out and it ended up being shown in 12 countries. So that was encouraging. And then the next year after that, 2019, I was a finalist for the Mass Cultural Council Artist Fellowship which is a cool program in Massachusetts that supports working artists in a bunch of categories. And what was cool about it is that it's judged anonymously. So the judges were only listening to the music. They weren't looking at my name or my resume or what famous composers I'm connected to. And there were four finalists and four winners. But to me, being a finalist felt absolutely like winning because One of the other finalists that year was a composer in his 80s who founded one of the programs at my grad school. And I think the average age of the eight of us was around 50. So someone actually came up to me at the event at the state house and asked me, how old are you? (laughs) Because I also look younger than I am typically. And part of what I want to say with this, like, yeah, that was really cool. That was really, really cool. 
I wouldn't have even applied to that fellowship if I'd known how big a deal it was, honestly, because when you look at the list of all-time winners for composition, it's basically a list of extremely famous American composers. And when I applied, I was like, oh, whatever, I never win anything anyway, may as well just send off these pieces from grad school while they're still like within the timeline I was allowed to submit for, because they have requirements that pieces have to have been written recently. And that particular opportunity on my resume ended up catapulting me into multiple other opportunities very quickly. So I actually got some more grants and opportunities right after that. So it kind of kickstarted my composition career. And I just want to point out that 10 years, 10 years of 100% rejection to, I don't know, I'm maybe a 75% rejection now, which is not bad. I actually get a lot of the things I apply for relatively. It's a competitive field and it's hard to get money in the arts. But that was not an end point, right? I'm still composing and I'm still supporting myself financially through other means. So that original dream of supporting myself 100% as a composer, I'm not anywhere near that. And that also means I'm not composing as much as my friends who are full-time composers. And I definitely feel a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about that, even though at this point my dream isn't to be just a composer. I also write and do some visual art and do some movement. You know, there's all these things I'm into. I love the interdisciplinary work. I love collaborative work. And I really do love the healing work I do with people. And I'd love to find more ways to marry that with music and art making. So that's right now one of my kind of big dreams is being able to pull together my interests in helping people and in the arts not through something just as straightforward as art therapy, although I almost went back for an art therapy degree. But yeah, I just want to say like when you look at someone's story from the outside, it's very easy to, I think, easy for someone to look at my career and think, oh, you've just been steadily working for a long time and then it paid off and now it's great, right? No, that is not how it feels. 10 years of rejection fucking sucked. And I don't even know that it was worth it, except that I just love music so much and I love writing so much and I can't stop. Like I just compose naturally. I can't like make my brain turn that function off. (laughs) So like a lot of artists, you know, this is just a thing that I'm going to keep doing. And I do genuinely love my life right now. I'm actually, I would say my overall emotional wellness is the best it's been, which is awesome. And I'm super proud to be alive and have survived some really tough shit. I feel like a lot of things are possible for me. And at the same time, that specific dream of being a full-time artist, supporting myself entirely through music feels, I don't know if impossible is the right word, but I'd have to give up a lot and I'd have to really change my life in order to make that dream happen. And I'm not confident that I could, even if I put hundred percent of my effort into it. Part of why I'm okay with that is my mental health was just so atrociously bad before. And I did so much work around that, that eventually I did get to this point where now I feel like I'm enough. And that's a really fucking big deal to me. I actually love myself. And unlike the kind of timeline of the composition career, I can't just boil that journey down into an obvious story. I've literally tried close to a hundred modalities and a lot of the things that have worked for me have been pretty boring. Honestly, the 
biggest thing has just been growing safety and growing a physical embodied sense of safety that allows me to expand and try things and, you know, being gentle with myself, inner child stuff, listening to my body, journaling, doing energetic clearing and somatic work. These are not sexy, fun practices exactly, but I had to do them because my health was so, so bad. And this feeling that I'm enough and that what I'm doing is enough and that my art is enough, even if it's not being seen or recognized or picked up, or even if it's not that good, right? Like I'm not, I don't think that I'm just a totally unrecognized, amazing artist, right? I am still developing as a composer. I don't think I'm writing my greatest work yet. So that's okay. You know, it's a process. And part of the process is just continuing to write and do more. So I don't have any huge, oh my God, yes, you can hundred percent achieve any dream. Just go for it and believe in yourself. That's not really how my system functions. What I do believe, the version of that that I do believe is that yes, it is possible to reach some kind of dream, but I don't think it's possible to achieve every dream because then I would literally have 20 separate careers that would take about a thousand years total, right? I know the work that goes into becoming a great artist and it's a lot. It's a lot of time. It's just a lot of time working with what you do and making some bad stuff and making a lot of mediocre stuff. And that's what it is. So the life I'm living right now was a total impossible pipe dream to me five or 10 years ago. Just the emotional wellness and feeling pretty okay, let alone owning a home and having a super healthy and supportive relationship and getting to make weird art pretty steadily. I always have some projects going now, which is awesome. So part of what I want to say, I don't hear people saying this, it can be really healthy to temporarily let go of dreams that are stressing you out. For me, the dream of supporting myself completely as a composer was just stressful. And it made me resent my friends who were doing really well. It made me resent not getting into doctoral programs that would have made it easier to go in that direction. And letting go of that dream for now has let me build an interesting and complex life that includes other forms of writing and art that are deeply nourishing and satisfying to me even if I'm not as good at them as I am at music. And being able to relax and feel safe in the life I have and the life I'm building has made it so much easier to stay open to opportunities, to believe that people are trying their best and not sabotage good working relationships just because of my own emotional trauma. And it's been easier to put myself out there and experiment because it's fun and not worry about whether that particular piece fits into my great life's work or if it's gonna be the next big step in my career or whatever. If your dreams, if your big dreams are in the way of you loving yourself today, I don't know if that's worth it for me anymore. If your big dreams are stressful and feel impossible, I just want you to know I am extremely familiar with that feeling and you are not alone. Every interesting and creative person has felt that at some point. And ultimately, I do want to build a world where everyone has access to resources that feel like they're living some version of their dreams. And if your big dreams right now are just to live and survive and meet basic needs, and if that feels impossible due to structural barriers, oh my God, I understand that so hard. And it's how most of my life felt up until a handful of years ago. And there are so many people who know that feeling. 
And I just want to say, if you're feeling that way and you're listening to this, I'm so grateful that you've stuck with it and survived, even though it's fucking hard. You're doing a great job and I love you. If you need immediate support, there's a crisis hotline with tech support now, and it's for far more than just feeling suicidal. Pretty much any kind of crisis you're in, you can text them, and I'll put that link in the show notes. Big dreams are awesome when they feel awesome, (laughs) and they can really suck when they feel impossible. I have my hand on my heart right now. I'm just saying ouch and acknowledging how hard it is to live in this world, in a body, just Feeling like so much of what I hope and dream of feels impossible in the grander scheme of things. And for me, all the things I want to make and build and do are so much about connection and expression and helping inspire others to feel better. So it's also hooked into this larger frustration about my communities not having access to what they need. You have permission to want what you want. And you have permission to change or set aside a dream for a while to focus on survival. You're not falling behind. You're taking care of yourself. And ultimately, when I've been in that place, when I look back, I built a really strong foundation to not be an asshole if I eventually do, you know, make it big or have some big thing because I've really been through the shit. If this episode brought up any feelings for you, I'd love you to join me in doing whatever version of this feels good for you. I'm just going to walk you through a little practice. So does your energy feel higher or lower right now? Do you have any urge to move? Does your body feel the urge to move? If so, go ahead and bring in some gentle movement. Do you need comfort? I love putting a hand on the heart. I like just gently rubbing that chest area or rocking or swaying a little bit if that feels comforting, just really small movement. And if you'd like to repeat this aloud, say something like, my dreams are part of a larger whole. And right now, in this very moment, I am safe. I am open to letting my dreams fit into the larger whole of my life, even if it feels impossible right now. I am becoming the person who does what I do in the future. I am becoming the person who does what I do in the future. And if you haven't moved yet, if it's comfortable, you can shake it out, shake your hands and arms or legs and feet, just wiggling and letting that energy shake out a little bit. I like shaking my head too, because activating the vestibular sense in the ears can be grounding. And a gentle inhale through the nose and exhale twice as long. Another breath and exhale twice as long with sound like, ah, that's right. In this moment, you are safe enough and you can have all of the feelings you have around your dreams and what you want. And you're sharing those experiences and feelings with so many others. Thank you for taking this moment with yourself and for holding part of my story today. I felt a bit vulnerable talking about it, and I really appreciate the care you take in listening. I feel held and seen right now, and that's lovely. And on a different note, if you've been wanting some magic in your life, 
starting March 13th, 2023, I'm co-leading a month-long experience called Three Keys to Lazy Magic. Roberta Smart and I are leading folks around intuition, imagination, and intentions to bring ease and pleasure into your day-to-day life. At the end of the month, you'll know how to make your own personal magical practices that feel good for you. You'll feel permission to be slow and gentle, and you'll connect with awesome people from around the world. Roberta's from the UK and I'm in the US. People are already signing up and I'm so excited to be bringing my up until now extremely private magical practices into this space to gently model how to get your brain and body on board. We will have group calls March 13th, 20th, 27th, and April 10th, as well as a community space on Facebook with additional pop-ins from both Roberta and I. And it's fine if you're not on Facebook, you can still join. We'll still be getting you all the material. She and I are both super jazzed, so the energy is really going to be alive and buzzing in the group. We'll be available to answer questions throughout, and we'll be giving fun prompts. I'm really thinking of it as a play space more than a course. It's this play space to experiment. So if you love the idea of magic, but worry about doing it right, or if you're just dipping your toe in and want a really non-judgmental and easy space, we have a space for you. And we are doing sliding scale pricing. So this is also the easiest entry point to experience working with me, if that's something you've been thinking about. And yes, I will be bringing in the magic of what I know about brain science and hypnosis, which is very magical in my opinion. This is going to be so fun. And the people already signing up are literally some of the coolest people I know. So get over here and join us and hang out. It's going to be awesome. Link is in the show notes or go to tinyurl.com slash lazy magic, tinyurl.com slash lazy magic. Oh, and if you want to hear more, join Roberta and I on Instagram Live Wednesday, March 8th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. UK time. It's possible that time will shift a bit, but we'll announce it in advance and our Instagrams are in the show notes as well. So you can follow us there. If you're still listening, have a great weekend and I hope my excitement is rubbing off and giving you some magical ideas of your own. Take that forward into the rest of your day and I wish for you that deep feeling of being enough, of knowing that you're worthy of taking up space in this world and doing whatever the fuck you want. And I wish that your biggest dreams will not only come to you, but they'll come to you in a way that feels amazing and serves the highest good for everyone around you as well. Because I know that our big loves, our big dreams all work together to build a better world. And we really need that. Your dreams have a space here. I believe in you. You're awesome. Go love yourself and have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMarae.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.